You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. Praise the Lord. Well, I have a few minutes left, and I want to share with you our, uh, our last core value. And this, I saved, I'll just say it, I saved the best for last. And let me remind you very quickly of the core values um, that we have talked about, and then I'm going to talk about the last one. We've talked about unity, honor, hospitality, excellence, faith. So unity, honor, hospitality, excellence, faith. And these, again, are the things that determine the culture of this church. It's very intentional. And the last one we're going to talk about is love. And if we were only going to have one core value, it would be the core value of love. Because everything else should fall under and come from love. And it's not man's love, but it's God's kind of love. And I'm going to talk about that here just for a couple of minutes. But the Lord uh, really, really, you know, every time I talk about love or study on love or listen to a message on love, God gives me another dimension, another layer, another way to look at it. Because it's one of the easiest things to minister on and one of the hardest things to minister on at the same time. It's, it's easy because God's so amazing and he is love. So it's just easy to talk about God's love, but it's difficult because people think I've already heard this. But I always say this when I minister on love, let your, let your heart be open let your eyes be open and listen for something that God can give to you that will broaden your scope of his love because we will never fully mine out. I actually don't even believe in heaven. We will ever mine out the fullness of God's love. It has dimensions to it, the height, the breadth, the depth, the width, and the length, and I don't know all the dimensions, but you get what I'm saying. We're never going to fully mine all of it out because He is love. Love is God, and God is love. There is no end to it. So I love being able to come back with some a few fresh things that God would reveal to us. I want to throw this up here and look at this very quickly before I uh, forget and we don't. So if we could, could we pull up the slide? And this is our declaration concerning Love. This is our declaration concerning love. And I want to read this um, so at least I've read it before I get into ministering and forget to do it. So here we go. I will pursue love with all people. Even when others aren't walking in love, I will pioneer love in every situation. You talk about the heart of God. (laughs) I will carry the same spirit of love that led Jesus to the cross. In like manner, I will lay down my life for others. So this is what we're after when it comes to talking about love, that we carry the same type or measure or love that Jesus did when he was walking here on the earth. Love should lead us in everything that we're doing. And I'm going to get into talking about uh, some things about love and what God is, is looking for concerning love. But I want to go to this one verse before, before I go too far in it, because this is a great reminder. This is 1 John 4 and 8. So if we could pull 1 John 4 and 8 up there, I want us to look at this. So 1 John 4 and 8. It says, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. When we talk about walking in love with people, it first has to come from a place of knowing God's love for us, because you can't give away something you don't have. You can't lead people where you haven't been. And so we have to know God's love for us. And I'm not going to spend the rest of the time talking about God's love for us, although we could, and it's amazing. I want to get into some other things. But 
it's very, very important that we first know God's love. There is not anything more important because the Bible tells us, and if we have time, we're going to get to these verses, but it says that if you give your body to be burned, if you give uh, all your goods to feed the poor, if you can prophesy, if you have all of these gifts and you do all of these things, but you don't have love, then there's no benefit to the thing that you're doing. We are supposed to have love intertwined and, as a matter of fact, leading in every single thing that we do here on this earth. Can I get a big amen? But the, the way we do that is first we have to know God's love. And when we talk about knowing God's love, it's not an intellectual knowledge. Ephesians chapter 3, it's around verse 19, it says to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. And I'm amazed every time I think about that verse and I'll go and read it and meditate on it. We can gloss over things so easily, but it says to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. And it's literally talking about uh, an experiential knowledge, an experiential knowing of God and God's love that goes beyond even our mere understanding. That's what we're called to. We're called to know God's love in that measure. So the point is, is that we don't intellectualize our relationship. I think that's one of the worst things we could do with a natural relationship is just to intellectualize it and just you know, just on a very surfacey level, like I love you and you love me. You know, I've met people in marriage like that, to whereas like they're two people that are living together, but there's there's really no experience there. Christians can do the same thing. We can do the exact same thing with God, to where we have a, a like, oh yes, God loves me and I love God, and we go about our business. But there's no relationship there. We should be experiencing relationally the love of God, to the point that it goes past our understanding. I actually am blessed with a wife that this is the honest truth. Uh, I do not understand her love for me to the point that it blows my mind. Because I know me, and (laughs) I know that I'm definitely not worthy of the way that she loves me. And that's, the boys are like, oh, dad, where is this going? Because... I work very hard to say embarrassing things to my children. So it's basically the reason I'm like, yes, Lord, I will have kids so long as I have your blessing on embarrassing them at all costs. So, but, um, but in all seriousness, she loves me with a love that actually blows my mind. Well, if you can have a human being that can do that, how much more God? We should be constantly aware of the fact that he loves us so amazingly and even if we don't understand it, we have a revelation and experience of his love. And I think that's one of the, the things that we can most easily miss is experiencing and knowing God's love on that level. I want to go to Matthew chapter 24, and I want to talk about some things concerning love. I gave you the core value, and uh, I don't know if I'll go back to it or not, but I want to talk about some things, some fresh things that the Lord showed me concerning love. Matthew chapter 24, and this was a, this was a warning that we find in the scripture, and I'm going to give you it in a couple different places. But the day that we're living in, one of the biggest concerns that I have on, on my heart, and not only for me, but for the church, is that we be careful to not come to a place to where we function um, in love and lose the spirit of love. Having the actions of love aside from the spirit of love, which of course is the love of, is the spirit of God, So having the actions of love aside from the spirit of love is a sign we have been vexed by the spirit of the age. We can do the actions of love 
but then be cold and calloused in our heart, not really even caring about what we're doing when we're acting out in love. And real, true, pure love is one that is loving at a heart level, not just in deed. And, some, and I've heard people say this, and I think, my God, you don't even know the love of God. They're like, well, if it wasn't for, if it wasn't for Jesus, God would have wiped everybody out. And it was like, okay, so basically what you're saying is that God so hated the world that he sent Jesus. <laughs> I mean, really? You ever heard anyone say, say something like that? It's like, if it hadn't been for Jesus, God, blah, 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 blah. I mean, I literally have heard, that's why I throw on that voice. It's, you know, whatever. But I, I've literally have heard people say that, and it's like a, a revelation that they really don't know God's love. Because last time I read John 3.16, it says, for God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. And it wasn't just a, an action that he did, because if it was just an action, then it wouldn't have been real love. Praise God that God and Jesus had not been vexed by the spirit of the age, and his heart was never, has never been, nor will it ever be hardened towards us. But his love is an undying love from the outside actions all the way to his very core. He loves us with everything and loves the entire world with everything that he has in him. You know, when you look at things concerning the judgment of God, and I don't have time to go into all of this. We definitely are living in a different, a different age right now, this, this dispensation. But you look at the judgment of God in the Old Testament that was there. He did things. Um, and, you know, like I always think about, he, swallowed, he opened up the earth and swallowed, you know, the earth swallowed was 100,000 people, or I forget the exact number, a lot of people. That, and it was the judgment of God. You look at Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, it didn't just, wasn't just like a wildfire that wiped it out. No, it was, it was a, you know, fire coming down from heaven and destroying that city. And now we live in a dispensation of grace, but you go to the very end of, uh, you look at Revelation, at the end of this age going into the, to the next uh, time there in the time of tribulation, we see the judgment of God poured out again. So when these people are talking about like, oh, hurricane, blah, 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 that was God's judgment. I'm like, when I look at God's judgment in the Bible, A, we're living in a dispensation where he's not pouring out his judgment on man because Jesus was the propitiation for our sins and not ours only, but for the whole world, which means that his wrath was appeased through uh, Jesus. And so we're not living in that time. But you look in the time that's coming, God's anger will be kindled again and actually, it's always kindled, but there's a, there's a dispensation we're living in right now. But it's going to be kindled to the point, and the time will be right. He's going to pour out His wrath again. And it's not going to be good on the people that His wrath gets poured out on, but it's not us. But you know that even in pouring out His wrath in the Old Testament and in the time of tribulation that's going to come, it doesn't come upon people because He hates them. It comes because of His love. He's all, he's all about saving humanity. You know, I watched... Don't watch this movie. But I... I watched, and I heard it was rotten, and I'm like, I'm going to watch it anyways. It was not rotten in a bad way, but, well, yeah, it is. But Noah, the movie Noah that was made a few years ago, it's awful. It, it made me think a little bit different about maybe the condition the world was in or whatever, whenever that, that time happened. But there were so many unscriptural things in that movie, but I, I watched it. I'm a big enough boy that I can be like, that's garbage. There's Hollywood in there. But, you know, one of the things they did, and this is one of the things, Jesus, I don't have time to go here, but I'm going to go here anyways. This is one of the things that's so disgusting about the world we're living in right now is they are constantly, and if you look, and it's not even a left or right issue, it's just a flat-out demonic issue, that you have certain uh, parts of society that are always looking to dehumanize God's greatest creation, which is human beings. We are God's prized possession. 
And, you know, you just look at the things, and you can pick this up in, in movies and TV stuff. That's why you've got to be careful what you watch and what you bring into your home and all that kind of stuff. And even things you can read and, you know, all of the things going on in academia. I mean, there's always this, this great thing to, like, you know, save the whales. I love whales. They're worth saving. But it's just like, save the whales, and, you know, let's make sure and preserve our rainforest. How about the 50 million unborn babies? Those same people that are crying out to save the rainforest don't give a rip about the ones that are in the womb. There is so much good be, being called evil and evil being called good. It's just, it's sickening. But in this, in this movie, Noah came to this revelation and was even going to kill a couple of his, what he thought were going to be, or what ended up being granddaughters. In the, it's a horrible movie. It's horrible. Uh, it's, it's based from the Bible, but has no biblical basis at all. Uh, he, was, he was going to kill his grandbabies, uh, and the reason was is because he saw that there was so much evil in the earth that he came to the conclusion that the only reason that God had him build the ark was to preserve all of the animals. And I thought, here you can go and read in Romans chapter one, where it talks about that they, you know, they uh, they retain. Let's see, how does it say it? They. Uh, Although they knew God, God, they did not like to retain him in his knowledge. And it talks about, uh, well, let me read. This has nothing to do with what I was saying, but just whatever. I, it's, I'm on fire with this, so I'm just going to go for it. Uh, here in verse Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, it says, For since the creation of the world is invisible, attributes are cl clearly seen, been, being understood by the things that are made how much especially, you know, people, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse being all, all, uh, because although they knew God, they did not, did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. You know what that is? That's like evolution. It puts this it puts this uh, emphasis and this praise on the creation and devalues the most incredible creation that God has, which, of course, again, are his people. And so anyways, I'm not trying to talk about the thing from Noah. And I got so I'm so far off track. I'm down. Kill that rabbit. I'm so far down that rabbit trail. It's going to have to kill it and, and come back. So I was just talking about God's love. And the truth is, is that God does love us. So much of our world speaks not to the fact that God's love is, is so towards us, including Hollywood and movies and politicians and a lot of things. This is why the world needs God's love more than anything else. Because you can't make, make a movie, you couldn't put a line in a movie. Any Christian that would have written that movie could not have, with a clear conscience, knowing God's love, had said, let's throw this in here just to whatever, mess with people, that maybe he did all of the whole ark thing just to save creation. No, he did it to preserve man. Man had become so corrupted out of love like a cancer, God cut off that whole section of society, uh, everyone except for eight people. Uh, he cut all of it off to preserve man because he loved man so much and knew that the redemption would come through Jesus. Hallelujah. So there is in Matthew chapter 24, I didn't even go there, but here we go in Matthew 24 and verse 12. And it says, because lawlessness will abound, listen to this now, the love of many will grow cold. Now, the King James Version, I like it a little bit better. It says that the love of many will wax cold. 
And this is talking about, I believe, the time we're living in, and I think it's probably a progressive thing from the time Jesus spoke to this, spoke this all the way to the end of the age, that you're going to see people's love will grow or will wax cold. And wax is a better reason, or a better word, and the reason why is because when you take a candle, the way you make a candle, I've never done it, this is just what I've been told, uh, but you take the, the, uh, the wick and you dip the wick in there and, and it, you put a, a measure or a layer of wax and you pull it out and you let it dry. Then you take that wick with that measure of wax on there, that layer, and you dip it in and you pull it out and you let it dry. And what happens over time is you'll have this, you know, whatever, candle, that size is probably average. You have this candle that's made, and really what it is is a bunch of layers of wax that are put on it. Nowadays, they probably make them different, but that's how they used to make them back in the day is that they would dip it, let it harden, dip it, let it harden, so it had all these layers. And what he's saying here is he's saying the love of many will wax cold, meaning it didn't just all of a sudden happen to where they were on fire for God and then wax cold into where it was an overnight thing. It's a process. And what happens is that when people get caught up in the spirit of the age, they get enamored by all the stuff that's happening in the world and problems and issues and persecutions and trials and, and losses and all of that. If we're not careful, we could become wax cold. Our hearts could become wax cold, even to the point to where we no longer like to retain God in our knowledge. That's a, that actually is one of the, the scariest things to me. If I've ever had a time where I, when I was frustrated, like to the point of like, oh my gosh, this is so frustrating, one of the things that will always keep me on track is I know the tendencies of the flesh, and I understand the ploy of the enemy is that he, if he can get people focused on the problems and allow their heart to continue to be hardened, us too could be drawn away from the Lord and drawn away into all kinds of whatever kind of stuff. I don't ever want my heart to be wax cold. And so what, I, what we've seen and what we're seeing in this age is a tainted love. I, th I think, isn't there a song called Tainted Love or whatever? Okay, so the prophecy is true. So, but there are people that have a love, and it's like the love is still there, but it's tainted because it's got all of this callous and all of this hardness that's on it. Let me show you this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to read a few verses here. Here we go. It says, but know this, and I think we're going to read down to verse 5. It says, know this, that in the last days, folks, I believe that we're in the last days. I've heard conversation about um, the end times versus the last days. I've always thought that the, the, the last days, well, I've always thought that the last days were the end of the end times. Now I think probably the last days are from the time of uh, the church all the way until the very end, which is probably the end times. But either way you want to slice it, this is being, this, we are progressively moving more and more towards this all the time, not away as far as our, our culture, our world, and our society is. So this is, you have to notice something here. This is a warning to believers. This isn't a warning to unbelievers. This is a warning to believers. Keep that in mind as we read this. He says, know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. No, leave that verse right there. And you probably already got it pulled up. You probably already know what it says. But you would think perilous times would be like, you know, there'll be tremendous wars and there'll be earthquakes and there'll be like mandated vaccines for people or, or whatever. There'll be all this like really perilous times that will come. Notice what the next verse says. For men will be lovers of themselves. This is a very slippery slope that people can get on. Again, this is a warning to the church. 
specifically to Timothy, who was a leader in the church, but definitely to lead the church with this warning. Men will become lovers of themselves. We live in one of the most selfish times, I think, that there, that there ever was. However, the opposite can also be true if we're tapped into the Lord, that it can be one of the most loving times that there ever was, where the love of God is. Because the opposite of selfishness, in my estimation, would just be love. Love for people. Because selfishness is just a love for self. So you could look at this and say, perilous times will come, for men will be, well, yeah, lovers of themselves. Selfish, right? And so that's the time that we are living in. Again, this is a warning. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Does it sound like the world we're living in at all? Verse 3, it says, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. Oh, my gosh. I just keep going. I just look, I look at the, the world. I have, I have this righteous anger in me, and I'm always working on, like, Kent, you have, to, you have to have relaxed intensity. Because when I see what's going on in our world with our leaders, I mean, my, my gosh, we have some of the worst politicians, I think, in the history of the world. I mean, they just, they're, we've got some good ones that are in there too. There are some good people, maybe only like five, I don't know, but there are some good people that are in Washington and we just need to identify them and pray for them, amen? There's one lady, oh man, I don't know how to say her name, but she's a, uh, in the House of Representatives. And she is a gun-toting, Bible-believing, uh, uh, Bonnert maybe is her last name or something, huh? Bobert, that's it. Yeah, I forget her first name. But anyways, that woman is awesome. She was on Andrew's Truth and Liberty program. And um, she, uh, which you guys should watch that, by the way, it's really incredible. But uh, she, she goes to Washington, and she walks around Washington with her gun. And she's open about it. I mean, I think she conceals it, but she's open about the fact that she carries it. And in Washington, it's illegal. But she's like, no, I have a Second Amendment right, and you can't tell me that I can't carry my gun. I love, oh, I love people like that. If I was a politician, I'd probably already been arrested by now. So anyways, <laughs> unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. Verse 4, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Wow. Verse 5, and this is the last verse. It says, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. He's talking about that the further we get into this thing, the more that you're going to see this. This verse 5 right here is more true now, today, than it was yesterday, than it was last week, than it was last year, than it was 100 years ago. People holding to a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. You know what that looks like? People who operate in actions of love but don't hold true to the spirit of love. There's a lot of things that look like love in our world but are not love. There are people doing a bunch of good stuff, and I'm not here to judge their motives, but most and a lot of what's being done is not really tied to the Lord. And there is a dividing line that's happening in this church, I'm telling you. And I don't think I'm, I'm all that and a bag of chips, and I don't think we are. But I can tell you this, we are not going to hold to a form of godliness and deny the power. I do not understand, I cannot grasp with all of my grasping of trying to understand, besides it's just man-pleasing kind of stuff, why pastors and why churches continue to come together 
and not acknowledge the presence of the Holy Spirit, which is where the power comes from. I can't, I can't understand it, other than they're just trying to draw people and not offend people. I've become a professional at offending people. I've offended more people than I know what to do with. But you know what? As long as God's pleased with what we're doing, I don't really care. I'm not trying to be a, a, a pleaser of man. I want to be a, a pleaser of God. And I don't do it all perfectly, but I'm telling you now, we will never hold to a form of form of godliness, but deny the power. You know what that, you know what that is? It's religion. And what religion does is they have the Lord say, do this, and maybe even for a season, do this, and they continue doing that thing, even though the Lord has moved out of that thing and has moved on to something else. They're sticking here to a form of godliness, but denying the power because they don't, they don't look at him. They don't look to him. They don't recognize him. They don't identify him. I want to move with God. I want to do what God's doing. Amen. I literally have told the Lord, I said, Lord, I know that you've placed me as the leader of this church, but I, you can literally do anything that you want to do. If you want us to come in here and turn our chairs around backwards and, you know, stand on our heads, if that's what your spirit is leading to do, I, I mean, I literally have had conversations with the Lord, and he wouldn't lead us to do something foolish like that. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that whatever he wants, that's the thing that we want to do. That's the thing that we should want to do. That is, that is not holding to a form of godliness and not denying the power of God. Because what has the power to heal, to deliver, to set free, to prosper, to change families, to bring uh, uh, restoration and reformation? It is the power of the Holy Spirit. It is not the power of man doing a bunch of religious stuff trying to bring about the power of God. Hallelujah. And this, this, I don't have time to go down to that either. Yeah, let me just say this. This is why cessationism is is a... real deal for a lot of people. Cessationism basically is a belief that the gifts of the Spirit ceased when the last apostle died. If you believe the gifts of the Spirit and the moving of the Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit were dead when the last apostle died, then why would you believe? Why would you do anything to try to move and move with Him and try to be in alignment with what His Spirit is doing? point is that you wouldn't, and you would hold to a form of godliness denying the power thereof. I wanted to show you this verse in Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. And this is a really powerful verse. It says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Let love be without hypocrisy, or the King James says, without dissimulation. And what dissimulation means is let it be without being phony. Let love be there without being phony. And this is what the Lord spoke to me. And I'm going I'm to end with this as quickly as I can. I was up here last night praying, and the Lord spoke something to me. And it was so clear. And I had a whiteboard over here, and I come up here every Saturday night, and I pray. And he spoke something to me so clearly. He said, I want purity in worship and prophecy and in serving. And so I wrote it up here and prayed over that. He said, I want purity and worship and prophecy and serving. And I didn't even know what I was writing. I just knew what I had heard. And so then, now I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want you to see something here. I want you to notice what the Lord told me. He said, I want purity in worship, prophecy, and in serving. That's probably why some of the word of purity came out this morning as well. Now listen to this. It says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or clanging cymbal. Where would you use... uh, Symbols and things like that usually. And worship and praise, those kind of things. So he says, though I have these things, but I don't have love, 
all I am is that. I don't have anything else. You know what that is? That's purity in worship. You know what causes love to be pure? Is, I mean, what, for worship to be pure is when love is there, when a real, true God's kind of love is there. It says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, we just read it, that let love be without phoniness, dissimulation, without phoniness, without it being fraudulent. You know that you could come in, and I'm not saying we don't have to press through in faith sometimes. Sometimes we have to press through. But we could come in and we could, we could just have lip service and never have heart service. That would be, a, that would be an impurity in worship. I've been there before. Jesus told the, to, not the disciples, but the, the Pharisees, he said, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. I don't ever want to get to a point to where I worship God with my mouth, but I leave my heart in a cold, dead, dry place. This is why I'll do the things that I'll do in worship to try to stir people up and put our attention and, and that, that kind of stuff, because I, I feel a responsibility to help people be drawn into the most important thing, which are not the songs, it's Jesus. You know, we, um, and we're going to have a time to honor them. You know, the, the Breedloves moved to Florida. Probably most everybody knows that. And they're going to be back uh, for a couple weeks, I think, in October this month. And we're going to have a chance to really honor them. We, we love them. They're a part of us. They're amazing people. And we're sad that they're gone. But I got to be honest with you. They are not worship. Them two are not worship. That is not worship. The microphones are not worship. You know what worship is? It's hearts presented before the Lord, lifting your hands, lifting your voice, giving your life unto Him. That's very simply, that's what worship is. And the Lord, actually, this word came through Aubrey probably almost a year ago, and we were in a small setting, and she released this. And when she said it, I was like, oh my gosh, that's a, that's a word for me and a word for us. She said, the Lord is removing the props. And you know what I have found is that there are a lot of props and things that we do. And what I mean by that is that we count on other things to take the place of what we're supposed to be doing. And this is why the scripture said, if we don't, if we don't cry out, if we don't worship, the rocks are going to cry out. Creation is going to cry out. If there is any people that should ever be lifting their voice, lifting their words, putting their heart in the right place, it's, it's us, the redeemed the redeemed of the Lord, the ones that were on our way to hell and living a life of hell before we got to that place of eternal punishment, He redeemed us. If there's anybody that, were, that was ever in a place to put it all before the Lord, it's us. I want to challenge you with something because the Lord's, and I don't even like to use that word because it gets overused, but I want to challenge you with something because the Lord has done this with me. What have we made worship about? Sometimes the Lord will do things to try to get your attention. And I can't read too far into this because I don't, all, I don't always know all the ways of God. I, d I don't know all the ways of God. Let's say it that way. But sometimes he does reveal his ways to me, but I don't always get that. I cannot for the life of you explain why we, we can't seem to have this big banded musicianship in our church the way that I've always wanted. Other than I can say this, the Lord told me that this church will have throne room worship and it will not have song service. And I don't believe we have song service in this church. I'm just, let me be clear about that. It is worship. 
but I believe there's a level of purity that he wants to bring us to that we have not entered into yet. And we have, we have counted on things. The, chur- the church in the end, the end time, the last days, cannot, if it's going to be sustained, it cannot operate like it's been operating. It can't. And I'm not, we're not, I'm not saying we're not going to have guitar and drums and all that. I'm not, saying we're not, I'm not saying that. Don't misunderstand me. But what I am saying is that the Lord would like to take our hearts and go, what have you really been counting on for worship? Have you been counting on your heart being connected to me, lifting your voice, your arms, your heart, your, all of that? Have you been counting on that or have you been counting on people to fill the room with sounds so that you can just be a part and be entertained by it? Because I think that there's a measure of us that have been vexed by the spirit of the age because the church has been vexed by the spirit of the age to where worship has become about people being on a stage performing instead of people coming in together, lifting up one voice to honor and glorify the only one who's worthy. And most of that doesn't come because, you know, we're literally worshiping the musicians, but it's a slippery slope because we come in and really we have fed the flesh in the church as a whole for so long. Most people come into worship looking for what they can get out of it, not for what they can put into it. Worship was never about us being blessed. It was about blessing Him. It's always and only been about that. Do you get blessed in worship? Oh, yeah. I mean, you stand there and God will tell you how much He loves you and just all of the things that He would speak to you. I love that back and forth with Him in worship. It's, it's amazing. We, sh- we should want that. We should participate in that. But whether we have a feeling or an emotion has nothing to do with what we do. Shouldn't have anything to do with what we do. Worship should be at the highest level right here all the time. The music might go up or down. There might be a crescendo in the song or something. (laughs) But our worship towards the Lord, our adoration for Him should always be up here. Why? Because we love Him. That's what it looks like to have purity in worship. Let's go to verse 2, 1 Corinthians 13. Now go to verse 2, and it says, Though I have, and remember the next thing that the Lord told me is that he said, I want to have purity and prophecy. And actually, he gave me this word probably six months ago, but I, he brought it back to me last night very strong. And it says, although I have the gift of prophecy, so here you go, here's purity and prophecy. And understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. There's people that have actually said, we don't need any of the gifts of the Spirit, all we need is love. No, what we need are the gifts of the Spirit in love. And our motivation for any form of prophecy, any gift of the Spirit, any, anything like that, because it should be and only be because we love God and because we love people. There shouldn't be any other kind of motivation. And I'm going to tell you that there has been an impurity. Anybody that listened to Joseph Z at all? Anybody listened to him pretty, pretty often? So uh, a while back, actually, it's probably a year ago, he said, he said, prophets have come, have come in and have really messed things up. And he said, daddy's going to take control of the wheel. And he was talking about uh, apostles coming in and straightening, straightening things out. I'm going to tell you that there has been a, a rise, there has been a rash of prophetic voices in the body of Christ, locally, internationally, that prophesy. And you got to be careful because I'm not trying to judge anybody's heart and I don't want you to go, oh, I know who that is. I'm just telling you, there's been a rash of prophetic voices and people operating in prophecy that have nothing to do with loving God or lifting up his church. It's all about building their ministry. 
If you're ever doing any kind of gift to try to build your ministry, you're wrong. Let me be the first to tell you that I have been wrong before. I've been there before to where it was all like, oh, whatever, because it was to, to pat my flesh. And people can fall into that to where, and a lot of it just goes back to identity issues that people have. They want the pat on the back. They want the, hey, man, that was great. You know, we want to invite you to our place. I used, to, I used to want to go and minister at CBC for so many years, Bible college. I always thought, I'll go back there. And I actually, a couple of years ago, I had someone say, you could do a class and minister it here. And I literally, I was like, I didn't say this to them. I was like, I don't really want to do that. I don't care. And I realized for a long time that felt like a goal for me to get to that place. You know what? My motives were 100% wrong or partially wrong. Let's put it that way. I had a tainted love. <laughs> love should be without hypocrisy. It should be without dissimulation. It should never be phony. If we have a real true love, any gift that we do, any gift that we give, when we put money in the offering plate, it should be because we love God and we love people. It's, nev it's never about doing anything for us. Usually when I minister on love, it's more encouraging. But anyways, look at verse 3 here. And so the Lord said, I want there to be pu uh, purity also in serving. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. I, I uh, found this out recently, uh, last week as a matter of fact, and I thought this is really good. Do you know that it says that if I give all my, uh, my body to be burned, uh, give all my goods to feed the poor, all that, that if you don't do it by love, it profits you nothing? Do you know that you should expect profit when you're doing something in love? If you're giving and you're not expecting a profit from it, then you need to have your eyes opened up and realize that God wants us to sow seeds so that we can reap a harvest so we'll have more seeds to sow. But if we're doing it and we're not doing it motivated by love, we don't have a purity in our giving. We don't have a purity in our serving. Everything that we, we should be doing in this church and in life when it comes to serving, and this, this really hit home with me, I have been forced to have to lead worship more. And I'm just being totally transparent with you, I've had to really work on my heart. Liz has had to work on my heart. Both Holy Ghosts have had to work on my heart. <laughs> and it's not because I don't love to worship. I love to worship. I love to be in the presence of God. I just don't want to be the one that has to lead it. You know, the Lord's had to bring me back and go, you know what? It's not about you. I know you all think I'm perfect and everything, but I'm just telling you, <laughs> this old boy's had to work on a few things. We should have a purity in our serving that it doesn't matter what we do, how long we have to do it, how many times we have to do it. We do it because we love God and we love people, period, end of discussion. And if I have to lead worship from now until the day I die, a lot of years from now, so be it. If I do it as under the Lord, what does it really matter? It's not about me. Your area of serving is not about you. You know that we're called to be, I just call it utility players. Most of the time, people come into a church, and they, they don't ask, what can I do for this church? They ask, what can this church do for me? Folks, that ain't love. That's selfishness. And you, if, if you think that way, you've been vexed by the spirit of the age. It's very Western culture mindset. What can I get out of it? This church service and this church and every meeting that we have is not about you. It's not about me. It's about us 
doing what he's called us to do, lifting and strengthening, encouraging one another, and exalting the name of Jesus, period. And if, if you're asked, because you're a team player, if you've not come and said, what can I do to help, and you consider this church, oh, Jesus. Can you take over from here? <laughs> if this is, you consider this to be your church, and you have not said, what can I do to serve? You're not being a team player. Most people, and I was this way, it was like I'd sit there and I was like, man, when's he going to notice me? When are they going to notice me? I've got this gift. I can teach. I can, ooh. I literally, I, I, hate, I hate clocks. I'm telling you, I hate clocks, but our backsides can only take so much, especially when I get in your business like this, then you can really only take so much. It is not about us. I'm both confessing and telling you the truth at the same time. If this is your church, this is the reason why this church stays small, but it's also the reason why it stays powerful. I'm a leader. I'm not an entertainer. (laughs) Huge difference. Huge difference. If this church is your church, which is your family, why would you not serve? I mean, sometimes people are like, well, I don't really feel led to clean. Who does? (laughs) When was the last time that you just felt the Holy Ghost say, go in there and do the dishes? It's your high calling. Probably like never. Have you been blessed while you were doing the dishes before? Our serving should be totally pure. And for it to be pure, it has to be void of self and be totally all about serving people and serving the Lord with the heart if I'm just here to serve. I mean, I can't tell you how many times. And and let me just say this. Let me give you a little bit of encouragement here. If you want to find and step into what you're ultimately called to do, what you're ultimately gifted at, you're going to find that in serving. David was anointed king while he was serving his father, leading sheep out in the wilderness. And his own dad didn't think enough of him to bring him in and number him among the sons. Prophet prophet Samuel said, there's another one here. And he's like, well, yeah, I got a little uh, ruddy, redheaded runt out there. We can bring him in here, but trust me, he's not the one. The Lord had been watching David and watching his heart. He had been serving, and he indeed was the anointed one to be king over Israel. Moses was in the wilderness tending his father-in-law's sheep. And God called him to deliver the whole nation of Israel. You didn't, what you didn't find, and it could have been in there some. I'm sure Moses, he was getting an inclination of what God was calling him to do. There's several things that would point to that. But you didn't just see him going there and go, God, show me your will. I'm praying, show me your will. He was doing something. He was moving. Then God revealed his will. It's kind of like, you know, you can't, you can't direct something properly unless it's in motion. You ever ridden in a boat before and tried to steer a boat and it, and it wasn't, uh, the motor wasn't on? It doesn't work right. You have to be going in order for it to turn. It's the same thing with the Lord. Elisha was found plowing. One of the most powerful prophets in the Bible with some of the greatest signs. Go and read Elisha. Some of the greatest signs and wonders ever happened through him. 
And it says that he was found plowing. That's where Elijah found him and come and placed his mantle on him. Point of the story, you're going to find God's will when you get busy doing, serving, helping, being a part. And you say, well, I really feel called as an evangelist. You're still part of the body. I feel called to lead people to the Lord. Fine, do both. I mean, sometimes the mentality, it's like, you know, I wrote this whole book. Spectators, Sanballats, Builders, and Nehemiah. Be a builder or a Nehemiah. Put your hand to the plow. Get busy doing something. You're going to find more. Let me, let me just see a show of hands. Out of everybody that serves in this church faithfully, be honest. Say, you have grown immensely since you said, I'm going to serve and I'm going to be a part. Simple as that. I know it's small, and you're like, well, I'm not. Well, then just serve. Wow, I should have let you take over a while ago. <laughs> Please understand my heart. There has to be a purity in our serving. If, if we are without serving, then we are not pure. And there's grace for people like, they're like, oh, I'm checking the church out. I'm not sure about this. You don't want to jump in and do something before you know you're... But if this is your church... Like, I, I've had people tell me, they're like, I really felt like the Lord told me that I wasn't supposed to serve during this season. And I'm like, really? Would, what if one of your children came and said, Mom, I really feel like the Lord's telling me, even though I'm supposed to wash the dishes every other day, I really feel like the Lord's telling me that I'm not supposed to wash the dishes anymore. That mother or that father would say, get behind me, Satan. You're going to wash the dishes. <laughs> Everybody wants to talk about entering into a spirit of rest, but nobody wants to talk about entering into a, I mean, a season of rest, but not a season of work. We should be working. See, you can work and rest at the same time. Resting has nothing to do with the position on the couch, has everything to do with the position of your heart before the Lord. Resting is a faith thing. We're supposed to be busy doing stuff. And that doesn't mean you're supposed to be here every time the doors are open. Please, everything has balance to it. Because if people walk out and say, all he wants to do is just take our time and serve, serve. No, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that if there's no heart there to serve your brothers and your sisters in the church that you're called to, you're missing it. There's a purity that's, that's not there that needs to be there. And I'm, I'm mostly preaching the choir. I think you guys are awesome. You know, I'm hard on you when I'm here, and I praise you when I leave. So... I'm kidding. I, oh, I praise you when I leave, but I'm really not being hard on you. I really am just trying to encourage you. This is how things are supposed to work. It's supposed to work this way. And you're going to find more growth and all that stuff when you just put your hand to the plow and begin to do something and see what God does. And it's not about you, you using your gift. I feel like I get to use my best and greatest gift for, well, now I get like two hours every week at best. And a lot of people, it's so difficult the day we're living in, they don't want to listen to someone talk for, for an hour. They don't because they've been vexed by the spirit of the age. They don't want to listen to the word for very long. Okay, well, this didn't go where I wanted it or how I wanted it to go, but let me thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Um, let me read one passage to you, and then we're going to quit. And I'm not going to preach it. I'm just going to read it, and it'll, it'll speak for itself. Believe me, okay? Trust me. 
I hope you all can hear my, I hope you can hear my heart and all that. Please, please hear my heart. Please don't feel like I'm being hard, but sometimes, sometimes uh, daddy's got to stand up and say, look, let's do things right. Let's do things with purity. When I find, when I read, see, when you, when you read the New Testament and read it 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 for years and years and years, it will mess you up. And what I find over and over and over and over and over and over again are not the church being built because people have all of these giftings. I find the church being built because people serve and love one another. Just being honest, the gifts are not the pinnacle of ministry. They're an addition to ministry. Real ministry is about serving, loving, giving, blessing, helping, praying for, encouraging, being together, worshiping Jesus. And at times, you'll have opportunity to really take the spiritual gift God has given you and inject it in, and it'll be really great. But when it's coming from a heart that's not full of love, it profits you nothing. And I've come to find out as a clanging brass or a gonging cymbal or however it's phrased to other people, because what they'll hear is, you're prophesying to me, but you wouldn't help me when I ask you to serve. Well, 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, I'm going to read about 10 verses here, and then we'll close. Everybody say, I love this church, and I'm going to serve it, because it's just like serving Jesus. It is serving Jesus. Because it's his body. First John chapter 3, we're going to start at verse 10. And this is the Passion Translation. It says, here is how God's children can be clearly distinguished from the children of the evil one. Anyone who's, who does not demonstrate righteousness and show love to fellow believers is not living with God as his source. The beautiful message you've heard from the start is that we should walk in self-sacrificing love toward one another. Sounds like washing dishes to me. We should not be like Cain who yielded. Notice that it's comparing not walking in love to a guy that killed his brother. We should not be like Cain who yielded to the evil one and brutally murdered his own brother, Abel. <laughs> you don't wash the dishes? You're a murderer is what it's saying here. I'm adding a little bit in there, but you get the point. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brother's righteous. So there was jealousy involved. So don't be shocked, beloved brothers and sisters, if you experience the world's hatred. Yet we can be assured that we have been translated from spiritual death into spiritual life because we love the family of believers. A loveless life remains spiritually dead. I want you to notice where, and you can go and read in the King James, New King James, and this is very, this is very true to the spirit of what it's saying. It says a loveless, a loveless life remain spiritually dead. In other words, love is what produces life. Love is what produces life. Everyone who keeps hating a fellow believer is a murderer. I didn't have to say it. The Bible said it. And you knew that no, no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we have discovered love's reality. Jesus sacrificed his life for us. Because of this great love, we should be willing to lay down our lives for one another. If anyone sees a fellow believer in need and has the means to help him, yet shows no pity and closes his heart against him, how is it even possible that God's love lives in him? Beloved children, our love can't be an abstract theory we only talk about. 
but a way of life demonstrated through our loving deeds. Now, just so you guys know, when I ministered this at Bon Terre tonight, I won't be as hard on them as I am on you. You know why? Because you're, you can take it. And they don't know me like you know me. You know that I can tell you something strong and you know that I still love you, right? They're like, oh my gosh, he's here to chop our head off because they're still getting to know me. I'm just shooting, I'm just shooting straight. I'm not the tickling ears kind of preacher. Like I'm not here to like, oh, that's just what they want. I'm going to give it to them. I'm going to give you what the Lord says that you need. I think I was at verse 18, right? It says, beloved children, our love can't be, oh, I'll just read it again because it's so good. Can't be abstract theory we only talk about, but a way of life, a way of life demonstrated through our loving deeds. We know that the truth lives within us because we demonstrate love in action, which will reassure our hearts in his presence. Verse 20, whenever our hearts make, make us feel guilty and remind us of our failures, we know that God is much greater and more merciful than our conscience. And he knows everything there is to know about us. My delightfully loved friends, when our hearts don't condemn us, we have a bold freedom to speak face to face with God. And whatever we ask of him, we receive because we keep his commands. And by our beautiful intentions, we continue to do what brings pleasure to him. And you know, in context, this is just talking about loving people. This isn't about checking off one through a hundred and I did it perfect, now God's pleased with me. No, it's just talking about loving people, loving God, loving people. So these are his commands, that we continually place our trust in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and that we keep loving one another just as he has commanded us. For all who obey his commands find their lives joined in union with him and he lives and flourishes in them. We know and have proof of his constant, uh, that he constantly lives and flourishes in us by the spirit that he has given us. There's a lot in there about walking in love, about being in love and doing it with a pure motivation. You can have actions, but it not be pure because your heart really isn't engaged. Versus you also could say your heart's engaged and you really love people, but have no actions. And the Bible says that faith without works is dead. If you say that you love somebody, but you shut up your bowels of compassion, how dwelleth the love of God in you? Well, that's just scripture. That's not even my opinion, <laughs> which it's also my opinion, but it's scripture too. Amen. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.